good morning. It's uh, good to be here with you all. We are thankful that you've joined in, whether you're here in person or with us online. Uh, If you haven't had the chance to meet me yet, I'm Pastor James, one of the pastors on staff here at Faith. And today is the second week in our sermon series called Winning the War in Your Mind, where we're talking about how our lives move in the direction of our strongest thoughts. And because of this, we need to fight to win the battles for our mind. For this series, we are borrowing heavily from a book by the same title, written by Craig Groeschel. So if you hear something and you're like, wow, James is so insightful today, it's because I'm probably borrowing it from that book. But um, before we dive into today's sermon, I want to take just a minute or two and pray with you all. So let's pray. Lord, thank you for another chance to gather uh, with our church family. It is good to sing your praises and to connect with each other. We are thankful for this opportunity, Lord. We do want to bring before you a few specific requests. We think of Steve and Sue Ormond as they're mourning the loss of Steve's mom. We ask that you be with them, give them peace and comfort uh, and wisdom as they navigate this challenging time. We also pray for Don Rohrbach as he's uh, recovering from a stroke. Help him through the rehabilitation process. Give him strength and a great attitude. Help him be a witness even during this time. We pray this in your name. Amen. So I've got a confession to make to you all. Uh, I am the type of person who is super susceptible to the powers of advertising, especially when it comes to fly fishing gear. Now, many of you know I love fly fishing, but just as much as I like fly fishing, I like fly fishing gear. Fly rods, fly reels, cool flies, sinking lines, floating lines, the clothes you get to wear while fly fishing. I absolutely love it. And so when I see advertisements of people who look great in their amazing fly fishing gear, it it gets to me. You know, something like this ad for Patagonia, they're standing in the river, everything looks majestic and peaceful. They've got a huge fish that they're releasing back into the river. When you look at that picture, you're probably thinking, yeah, that's a nice picture of half a human holding a fish. But when I see that picture, I think that looks so great. I want to look like that and have that much fun and catch fish like that. And obviously, if I want that to happen, I need a great olive green quilted jacket to keep me warm and stylish when I'm fishing in the river. Because you know what fish think when I catch them? They think, at least I got caught by someone who looks cool. (laughs) I am a sucker for outdoor gear advertising. So last year, I made a point of telling myself, James, you have more than enough fishing gear. You don't even have time to use all the gear that you already own. So no more buying fishing gear. You don't need any more of it. And do you know what I ended up doing? I bought more fishing gear. I had told myself, I don't want or need any more. It would be good for my budget and probably good for my soul if I just learned to be content with what I have and use the stuff that I already own. But even though I had decided that the right thing for me to do was nix the purchasing of excess gear, I still bought more. 
I would end up saying things like, all right, this is the last time. No more fishing gear this year, and then I'd buy something else. Anyone had a similar experience? You tell yourself, okay, I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm not going to blow my budget on Amazon. I'm going to stop eating so much sugar. I'm not going to complain as much, worry as much, think so many negative thoughts. I'm going to stop yelling at my spouse. I'm going to stop drinking as much. Or I'm not going to look at porn anymore. Only to keep doing the very thing you told yourself you were done with. This is a pretty common experience that most of us face at some point. In fact, the Apostle Paul wrote about this phenomenon in the book of Romans. He said, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. And then he goes on to say, For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep doing. Anyone in here brave enough to admit that these words resonate with you? Paul gets us, doesn't he? We often know that there is something in our lives that we desperately need to change, and yet we seem to lack the ability to actually see any meaningful change in that area. So, why do we do this? Well, to understand part of the problem here, we need to talk a little bit about our brains. Now, from what I, as a pastor and not a neuroscientist, understand, the brain is like a command center that directs the parts of your body through neurons. And neurons link together to create messages, and the same message sent multiple times creates something called a neural pathway. And the presence of a neural pathway makes a thought easier to think and makes it easier for your body to send that same message again. So when I respond to a certain stimulus with a specific way of thinking or acting, the more I respond to that stimulus in that way, the stronger of a connection is made in my brain and the easier and more likely it is for us to think that thought or do that action again. You might be like, say what, James? I have no idea what you just said. So let me give an illustration. A good way to think about this is like a rut in the road. You know, when people drive on muddy dirt roads, they end up creating a, a rut in the road. And the more you drive in that rut, the deeper it gets. And the bigger and deeper a rut gets, the more likely you are to end up driving in it and the harder it becomes to get out of once you're driving in it. In fact, some ruts get so deep that it becomes practically impossible to get out of them. When I was in college, I had a beautiful 1994 Chevy Astro van. It was teal. It ran most of the time. This is a picture of me and my compadres with my Astro van. And yes, those are stickers of bullet holes in the dented front fender. We were super cool. Well, my friends and I, we used to take that teal Chevy Astro van all sorts of places where it really shouldn't have gone. And one April, we decided that we wanted to take it camping on the Manistee River in northern Michigan. So we packed up our gear and some food in our tent, and we drove to a backcountry campsite located along the edge of the Manistee River. 
Now, to get to this campsite, you had to drive along a one-lane dirt road for about two miles, and on the left side of this road was a near-vertical hill that went up probably 100 feet, and on the right side of this road was a near-vertical hill that dropped straight down probably 100 feet. And as it turns out, some folks with their off-road vehicles had been driving up and down and up and down and up and down this road all spring long in the mud and the rain and had left humongous ruts up and down this road. So my friends and I, we took a look at this big, deep set of ruts and we knew that if my teal, two-wheel drive, envy of every soccer mom from the 90s Astro van were to drop down in that deep, nasty rut, there would be no way out of it. And we were going to be stuck driving in that rut until it took us to our destination. So we did what any wise and discerning 20-year-old would do, and we went for it. We said, we could do it, you know, high fives, testosterone, all that good stuff. And literally, within seconds, we slid right into that rut. Now, the problem was that the rut was occasionally deep enough that the bottom of the astrovan would come into contact with the road and make this terrible scraping noise. And thankfully, uh, most of the exhaust system had actually fallen off of that car ages ago, so we weren't too worried about that part, but we did know there was a lot of other valuable stuff on the undercarriage of that car that probably shouldn't be scraping across the ground. We tried as hard as we could to get out of that rut to keep our undercarriage from dragging. But because so many people had driven down those ruts in their off-road vehicles, each time making them deeper and more pronounced, we could not get our Astrovan to climb up out of it. And we were forced to take the rut all the way to our campsite, wincing and crossing our fingers every time the bottom of our car scraped against the ground. Because so many people had driven in that rut, making it deeper every time, we weren't able to get out of it once we had fallen into it. The same thing happens in our brains. When we travel the same neural pathways over and over, it gets deeper and stronger and harder to get out of. Now, we know this happens. Just think about your drive home from work. You have done it so many times that your brain just automatically does it now. That's why when they started doing construction on 14 Mile over here, it literally took me four weeks to stop turning left on uh, Drake and 14 when going home from the church. That neural pathway for me was so established that I would turn left naturally. It was automatic. It was hard to stop. Now, God created this to be a good thing, to aid us in life. This is how we learn to be musicians, how we get good at sports, it's how we learn to talk and walk and cook. What a wonderful gift from God that our brains are able to make it so that something that was once impossible becomes second nature. But because of our sin, this thing that God created to be good can end up causing us pain and hardship. So we wonder why we keep yelling at our spouse when we fight or looking at porn when we feel lonely or feeling paralyzed by worry every time we think about our kids? Well, the more that we've driven down that road in our brain, the deeper the rut gets, the easier it is 
to automatically fall into that rut and the harder it is to get out. The more we think a certain thought or do a certain action in response to specific stimulus, the stronger we make that neural pathway and the harder it becomes for us to break out of that cycle and act differently. Does that make sense? We literally get stuck in a rut in our brains. Now before you go and think, I'm in trouble now, my brain will never let me do the right thing ever. I've established such bad ruts that I'm never going to get out of them. Please know there is hope. Our brains change and grow and morph. And more importantly, Jesus wants to help us live transformed lives. But before we get to that part, I want us to take a minute and identify some of the ruts that you're struggling with. Because unless we identify our ruts and decide to break the pattern, our lives will continue moving in the wrong direction. So I want you to ask yourself, what are my ruts right now? Are you having a hard time keeping yourself from spending too much money on things you don't need? Do you keep looking at pornography? Has the pattern of communication with your spouse or your kids become destructive? Are you finding that you're overly critical about everything and complain all the time? Does your worry or negative self-talk keep you from living life as it should be? What are the ruts that you need to get out of? I want us to check out this passage from the book of Romans. The Apostle Paul wrote, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Now, Paul might not have had any books on neuroscience in his library, but he understood this really important idea, that simply trying harder to not yell at your spouse or spend so much money or worry as much doesn't necessarily lead to life change. We have to change the way that we think first. Paul's idea is that increased effort doesn't always equal lasting change. Transformation, it first requires what he calls mind renewal. Let's look a little bit more closely at this passage. First, Paul says, don't conform to the pattern of this world, which is basically his way of saying that our broken world, it's constantly shaping us to adopt broken patterns of life. And as Christ followers, we should be striving to not let those broken patterns of life be our patterns of life. Instead, we should be transformed. And when he says transformed, he means a lasting, meaningful change. And here's the really important question. How do we find that transformation? Well, Paul's answer is by the renewing of your mind. This is huge. Paul's saying that there is a process behind being transformed and the key to being transformed, it's not just trying really, really, really hard to do the right thing. It's not telling ourselves over and over, I swear that's the last time, I'm going to do better. No, the process has to include what Paul calls 
renewing your mind. So what does it mean to renew your mind? Well, renewing your mind, it's exactly what it sounds like it should be. It's the process of making your mind new. It's restoring it to the way that it's meant to be. So whether it's something we've learned from our families in our childhood or our constant consumption of media or just a way of life that we've embraced, our minds get shaped by life and that shaping often leads to living in ways that we don't like and aren't pleasing to God. Renewing our minds, it's the process of breaking down those thoughts, lies, and patterns of expression that are not good and rebuilding in their place thoughts, truths, and patterns of expression that conform to the way of Jesus. Simply put, renewing your mind is the breaking down of sinful patterns of thinking and replacing them with godly patterns of thinking. If we think back to what I said earlier about our brains and the ruts we develop, renewing our minds is breaking down the bad mental ruts and building good ones. Now, how do we do this? This is the million dollar question. How do I renew my mind? Well, last week, Mike gave us a great introduction into this. He talked about the replacement principle, which is where we take a close look at the things that we do so that we can figure out the lies that we're believing that lead us to act in wrong ways. And then we replace those lies with God's truth. And if you don't remember what I'm talking about, I highly suggest going back and listening to Mike's sermon from last Sunday. You can find it on our website. And this week, we're talking about the rewire principle, which is where we go one step further and we seek not to just replace our lies with truth, but also to try and internalize that truth, essentially rewiring our brains so that they don't keep falling into those old ruts that are harmful to us. The psalmist sums up this idea in Psalm 119 when he says, I've hidden your word in my heart, that's internalizing the truth that I might not sin against you. Now, the rewire principle, it includes three elements. First, we identify the lie and the truth that needs to replace it. This is what Pastor Mike talked about last week. And then, this is step two, we internalize that truth through meditating on it regularly. And we also need to, this is step three, we find and encourage the right response that our truth points us toward. Basically, we strive to daily spend time with our needed truth so that over time, we rewire our minds so that when our triggers happen, we fall into the right responses and not the wrong ones. I'm going to give you an example to try and help this make sense. Say I struggle with eating donuts. And after working through the questions we learned in last week's sermon, I come to realize that my struggle with eating too many donuts tends to be a response to stress in my life. I have bought into a lie that says that when I'm stressed, donuts will make me feel better. Well, imagine I had a really hard day at work. Pastor Eric yelled at me. 
all my volunteers got COVID, and then the Keurig machine couldn't work, so I didn't have coffee all day. It's like a terrible, stressful day here. Because I've developed a mental rut of eating donuts when I'm stressed, my brain automatically responds to that stimulus of stress by saying, hey, James, a donut will make you feel better. So I then do the action that's become associated with that neural pathway. I pull into the Dunkin' Donuts drive-thru and order a glazed donut and a coffee roll. I have internalized a lie that donuts will provide the relief I need from my stress, and I have acted on that lie enough that it now comes naturally and instinctively to me to act on it by eating a donut or two. Now, if I were to practice the rewire principle, I would need to start by identifying the lie that's driving my actions and understanding the truth that needs to replace it. The lie is that a donut is the solution to my stress, that it will give the relief my soul needs. So I would then search the scriptures and discover the truths that I need to replace my lie with. I might find a passage like Psalm 73, whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Well, what about this passage? God is my refuge and strength, an ever-present help in danger. In these passages, I realize that when I'm stressed or in distress, God is the one I should turn to. He is the strength of my heart, my portion forever, my refuge. And so I would take those truths and I would turn them into a declaration, which is just a way of contextualizing that truth to my situation. So my declaration, it might sound like this. When I'm stressed or in times of distress, I turn to God, not food. I come to Jesus because he is what I really need. He is my strength, my fortress, and my refuge. So with that declaration, I also need to identify what an appropriate response is to my stress. It could be that I spend a little time in prayer, asking God to be my refuge during this stressful time, or I could practice some deep breathing or go for a walk to decompress. But I need to identify what appropriate responses are. And now here, this is where the practice is going to start to differ from last week's. The rewire principle is that we're trying to internalize these truths so that over time, they rewire our brain's responses. And here are two really easy ways to internalize our truth. First, we can write it, read it, think about it, pray it. You wake up every day. And before you even get out your phone and see who liked your Instagram post from last night, you sit down with a journal or piece of paper and you write out your declaration. When I am stressed or in times of distress, I turn to God, not food. I come to Jesus because he is what I really need. He is my strength, my fortress, and my refuge. And then you read it to yourself few times. And then you think about it. How did it go trying to live out this truth yesterday? Where did I do great? Where was there room for improvement? 
Were there any other triggers that I noticed that I should be aware of or things I need to do to help myself? And after you think about it, you pray it. God, help me live out this truth and not fall into my bad habits. That's one way to internalize it. We write it, we read it, we think about it, we pray it. And the second way is simply to work at memorizing the passages that you use to formulate your truth. So for this instance, I could grab either of those verses I mentioned and each morning spend a little bit of time going over them and memorizing so that they stick in my brain and help to rewire the way I think about stress and food. When day after day you intentionally work at internalizing the truth, you actually start to rewire your brain. Now, mind you, this takes time because if you're like me, you've been buying into the donut lie for a long time and driving down that rut over and over and over. And just like bad ruts in our mind are strengthened over time, it takes time to really build and develop good ruts. But if I'm intentional about spending time internalizing the truth, writing it, reading it, thinking about it, praying for help and transformation, memorizing passages, you know what happens? Well, when I'm stressed and get into my car and start to drive home and I see that Dunkin' Donuts drive-through, I still want a donut. But now, a new thought pops into my head. When I am stressed or in times of distress, I turn to God, not food. I come to Jesus because he is what I really need. He is the strength of my heart, my fortress, and my refuge. And that new truth popping into my head, it gives me enough time to remember those appropriate ways of responding to my stress that I've identified. So instead of turning to that deep-fried, fat-filled refuge, I can take some deep breaths, pray to God, and say, thank you for being my true refuge. Help me lean into you and not into donuts. I give my stress to you. Amen. The more time we spend internalizing that truth, the stronger our new rut becomes. And while we'll never be perfect, it does rewire our brains and start to give us the opportunity to do what's right in God's eyes and not automatically jump into what's wrong. So here's my suggestion. Go back to last week's sermon and listen for how Pastor Mike talks about discovering the lie that you believe and replacing it with truth. And when you find the truth you need, write it into a declaration. And then get up every day, write down your declaration, read it to yourself a few times, take a little time to reflect on how you lived out that truth yesterday, and then pray that declaration back to God, asking for help as you live it out. With this practice, we are intentionally thinking about what is true and what is good because, like we learned last week, our lives move in the direction of our strongest thoughts. As we close, I want to share a little bit about one of my struggles where this practice has really helped. When I was in college, I formed a habit of using pornography, and I hated it. I felt bad because I had recently committed to trying to live my life for Jesus, and I knew that pornography 
wasn't in line with his view of sexuality. And I felt guilty because I was aware of how sinister and manipulative and unethical the pornography industry is. How they basically trick women into doing it and then manipulate and coerce them to stay in the industry. And every time I used porn, I felt like I was contributing to one of the greatest evils of our time. I tried for months and months and months to break the cycle. And every time it went a little bit like this. I would go a few days or weeks without it, and then all of a sudden I'd fall back down that hole, and I would say, I can't believe that I did that. And then I'd promise to myself, I'm going to try harder this time. And that would work for a little while until it didn't. And again, I would say, I can't believe I did that. I hate that I did that. I'm going to try harder and I'm going to do better. But I couldn't seem to break the cycle. Eventually, I went to my mentor at the time and told him what was going on. And together, we formulated a multi-pronged approach to beating the sin of porn in my life. And one of the most important aspects of that approach was this process of rewiring my brain. We discovered that my biggest trigger was loneliness. So we spent some time and worked on a declaration that dealt with my loneliness and the truth of God's plan for sex and pleasure. And it goes a little bit like this. I will not be controlled by my lust. God has redeemed me. He satisfies my soul. When I feel alone, I will run to him and to the family he has adopted me into. I will honor women as my mothers and sisters. Sex and pleasure are a gift from God, but a gift to be used as he teaches me. They will not define me or rule me because I am defined and ruled by Jesus. On top of that declaration, we worked through what appropriate responses to loneliness should look like. Things like spending time with friends, making deep connections with people in my small group. So I wrote that declaration down almost every day. And I thought about it, and I confessed it, and I prayed over it. I considered where things were going well and where they weren't. And for months and months and months, I did this. Actually, I still often use this declaration just to keep reinforcing the right truths in my brain. And over time, something wonderful happened. When the craving to look at porn happened, instead of just giving into it, my declaration would come to mind. Instead of falling into the rut of porn, I would fall into the good rut of my declaration. And that would give me enough time to reconsider what I was really feeling and what is a godly, appropriate response to my feelings. And over time, through a long up and down process of success and failure, that truth became more powerful until what was once something that was a constant source of guilt and shame became a place where I started to rejoice in the work that God had done in me. My mind was being renewed. So, are you struggling with lust or pornography? If so, declare the truth to yourself. 
Lust is not my master. God has redeemed me and given me pure thoughts. I will not look lustfully because I've made a covenant with my eyes and with my God who strengthens me. God is always faithful. And when I'm tempted, will always provide a way out. Is it your relationship to food that plagues you? If so, declare the truth. When I'm stressed, I turn to God, not food. I come to Jesus because he is what I need. In him, I find strength and comfort. Is it anxiety? Then remember the truth that because of Christ, I am not anxious about anything. I cast my cares on God because he cares for me. I have the peace of God dwelling in my heart and ruling my mind. Or maybe it's a lie about money that you're believing. Well, money is not and never will be my master. My God is an abundant provider who meets every need. Because I am blessed, I will always be a blessing. I will lead the way with irrational generosity because I know it's truly more blessed to give than to receive. Or maybe you're plagued by self-defeating thoughts about yourself. God is for me, so who can be against me? My God is working all things for my good. I am more than a conqueror through Jesus who loves me and gives me strength. Or perhaps it's an obsession with newer and better stuff that's ruining your finances and driving a wedge into your relationships. I am not my stuff. I am who God says I am. He says I am blessed, fulfilled, and called to make a difference. My God has given me everything I need for life and godliness. I am content and full of joy because he is enough. Church, find your declaration. Write it out every day. Read it to yourself over and over and over. Reflect on how it's going and pray for help. Paul writes to us, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So let us be a people who work to rid ourselves of our bad ruts and build new good ones by identifying the lies that we believe and making a habit of declaring life-changing truths to ourselves. Let's pray. Lord, we are thankful that you want to help us have transformed lives. We ask that you help us this week to remember the truths that we need to hear, to meditate on them daily. We ask that you give us the self-discipline to spend the time we need to spend declaring the truths to ourselves so that over time our brains can be rewired. Help us remember that you forgive us even when we fail, not because of how hard we try, but simply because you love us and through grace have forgiven us. 
but we also pray that you give us help as we seek to live transformed lives. Pray this in your name. Amen.